Attention ASRM Today listeners, are you ready for the event of the year? Register now for the ASRM 2023 Scientific Congress and Expo, the premier conference for reproductive medicine happening in New Orleans, Louisiana, October the 14th through the 18th. Get ready to immerse yourself in cutting-edge scientific sessions, engaging workshops, and once-a-year networking opportunities. Discover the latest breakthrough in reproductive science, exchange ideas with industry leaders, and expand your clinical knowledge. With over 200 expert speakers and hundreds of exhibitors showcasing the latest advancements in reproductive technology, this is the event you cannot afford to miss. Mark your calendar and register now for ASRM 2023 New Orleans by visiting www.asrmcongress.org. On with the show. Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes. Today on the show, we're talking about posthumous sperm retrieval. To help us in this discussion is Dr. Ranjith Ramasamy, who is Director of Reproductive Urology and Associate Professor, University of Miami in Florida. Dr. Ramasamy, welcome to ASRM Today. Thank you very much, Jeff, for having me, and, and thanks for joining you on this uh this very interesting discussion, hopefully uh, for both us as well as for the listeners. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about how did you become interested in posthumous sperm retrieval? I mean, how how did you become aware of it in reproductive medicine? So when we started the reproductive urology program here, we got a very strange consult from a patient who um, had a motor vehicle accident and was in the ICU and was brain dead and could not make a decision obviously on his own, uh, but was married and the wife was starting to have thoughts about, you know, having a child with the patient. And so we got consulted in the ICU. So technically this is not posthumous, but certainly someone who cannot make a decision on their own and is now relying on their wife to make the decision. And this was one instance. And then and then after every, every few months, we started getting these requests pretty routinely now, and this time in people who have actually passed away. And so we thankfully have the ASRM guideline to rely upon when to offer these and when not to. And, and so this was a nice reference for us within the institution at the University of Miami to come up with our own policy on when we should offer these to patients and, and people who've passed away and, and, and versus those not. So really got interested because of patients requiring uh, these services. And, and so I had to sort of delve into the literature, when it could be done, when it could not be done, and draft our own policy within the institution to be able to offer these services. Is there a specific procedure for posthumous sperm retrieval that 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 is currently being done or that is currently being recommended? So I think the uh, the one that is most commonly being done is a testis biopsy. So in patients who have technically normal spermatogenesis and have passed away, uh, finding sperm in the epididymis is going to be really, very rare. So using that uh, as a source of sperm is unlikely going to work. So for those urologists and that are going to attempt this in their own practices and, and offer these services, I think a simple window testis biopsy is probably the best way to, to do this. And is there a s- certain number of days that are considered here as far as when we talk about posthumous, you know, is, is there currently a set time? Got it. So um, before we published our most recent study, which I'm sure we're going to discuss, there was a, a common theme of posthumous sperm retrieval is probably 
best offered at about 24 hours after someone passes away. And most of these studies, which are obviously case reports and a very few case series, have shown that sperm will be viable up to 24 hours after someone passes away. But thankfully, in the study that we did here at the University of Miami, which we then published at FNS uh, Reports, we were able to show that sperm obtained from the testis in men who've passed away can be viable and can be frozen and can be viable even after thawing up to 100 hours after someone's passed away. And so this is now useful information because we actually turned down way more requests than we can offer these services. And one big reason why we turned down requests is because it's been too long since the, the person's passed away. And so now because of our study, I've actually gotten a lot of positive feedback from other providers around the country, which are now offering, who are now offering these services, when as long as the uh, other criteria are met, for example, having a surviving spouse is critical, having some evidence of wanting to start a family is critical. And then in those circumstances, if you're able to offer it, I think time since death should no longer be used as such a hard cutoff anymore. In, in a recent article in Wired magazine called Let People Collect Sperm from the Dead, uh, which you also were interviewed for, the ethics of this is really debated. Can you talk a little bit about the, the ethical concerns that comes with uh, Absolutely. sperm retrieval? Absolutely. Yeah. I, think that, I, think it's, I think it's extremely important that we make sure that we offer these services in only very select patient population and, and knowing fully well that there is a surviving spouse. So. For those people that are thinking about what sort of guidelines to follow, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, ASRM, has a very good guideline on posthumous sperm retrieval. And in it, it discusses some of the ethics on who should be offered and who should not. And really, it should be done only when there is a surviving spouse, when there is some intent of starting a family and family planning and family building. We get a lot of requests from parents of unfortunate young children who've passed away and we get requests from uh, girlfriends, we get requests from siblings. And, and unfortunately, we have to turn down all of those requests because now if you do have that sperm and, and it's, it's in the custody or property of someone who is unable to now start a potential family with it, then you understand the ethics of that become very challenging and difficult. Whereas if you do have a surviving spouse, at least there is potential for that sperm to be used in, the, in at least in an appropriate fashion when that sperm can be used. And usually we, uh, we recommend that spouses don't use it for up to a year after death to cross the period of bereavement and then to go back and use it. And in fact, I can tell you in some of, the, some of our own cases that we've done, we've gone back and asked, and uh, most spouses don't end up using it. And even though we make sure we recommend that, spouses have a lot of closure in these services being offered because they feel they have some part of their spouse with them. And I think that's why that uh, offering that service is important, but also counseling them and advising them not to use it for up to a year after is also critical. Because as you very well know, life changes with time and, and we want to make sure uh, that we are aware of that and cognizant of that and counsel the, uh, the spouses at this time. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about the work that's going on there at the University of Miami in regards to this, this posthumous sperm retrieval? So we've been not only trying to push the limits of when the sperm can be collected, but we're also trying to uh, see at what conditions should the sperm be actually stored during this period. For example, this research can be applied for wartime injuries, where combat veterans either get passed away or their testes are injured, in which the sperm needs to get stored at some optimal temperature 
before it can be uh, stored in, and cryopreserved in a proper you know, sperm bank and, and a freezing facility. And so I think that some of this research now can be applied to what optimal conditions do they need to be stored? What temperature should that tissue be stored at you know, before the sperm can be viable? And how, for how long? Because we tested it for up to 100 hours, but maybe we can stretch this longer. And if the conditions are suboptimal, then what does the duration change? I think so. All this, still lots of questions to be answered. But I think by this research, we're now able to expand the options for couples that are appropriate and obviously spouses that, that would qualify for this uh, procedure to be done. This topic is, of course, uh, touchy uh, at best for, for so many people. And uh, we'll, we'll make sure that we link to the Ethics Committee on in FNS reports for listeners to, to take a look, a little bit deeper look at the, at the stance here, because we could, we could just go on for days about the, yeah. <laughs> about the ethics of this. Right. I, I want to make sure, though, I, I ask you this while I have you here today. How might posthumous sperm retrieval be beneficial for reproductive medicine overall? So with the advance if we never had IVF, posthumous sperm retrieval is never an option. Uh, if we never developed ICSI, intracytoplasmic sperm injection, posthumous sperm retrieval was never an option. If we didn't have advances in the andrology laboratory with cryopreservation of testicular tissue, identifying sperm from testicular tissue, testicular tissue that has been thawed after freezing for X number of years, posthumous sperm retrieval would never be an option, right? So because of all of the advances that we've made in reproductive medicine, both on the reproductive urology side with, with, with operations and biopsies being able to be performed safely, as well as on the laboratory side for all of the advances that we've made. I think posthumous sperm retrieval at least remains an option uh, because of all of the advances that we've made in reproductive medicine. And I think as a, as a field, I think some of these, despite the ethics, I think it, it certainly helps advance science. Because for example, countries like Israel offer these pretty widely. And, and, and they offer it to, um, in fact, there the, the, the regulations in, in Israel are a lot less stringent, where parents are able to obtain testicular tissue from sons who have gone on for war and, and have passed away. And parents can own custody of that testicular tissue and move forward with that. So some of the countries are a little bit more progressive. Europe, several countries are actually banned posthumous sperm retrieval because of all of the ethical issues that can possibly arise. In the United States, it's sort of left up to institutions and states to determine these things. I think because as long as we follow the ethics uh, provided by the ASRM and stick to the guidelines and offer it in the appropriate couples and obviously offer proper counseling on when to use it and how to use it, I, I think we'll still be safe and, and, and offer it as it should not be done all the time, right? I think, I think that that's the goal. I think this is not standard of care, but I think to offer it as a service at a time when especially female partners are at their lowest point in their lives, because obviously this is unexpected. This is a young man who has likely passed away from an unfortunate circumstance. I think that, that offering this as a service and, and counseling the, the wife is, is, is extremely important. What is one takeaway you would like our listening audience today to get from, get from this? What, what, what's one direction that you would like to point them in as far as knowledge about posthumous sperm retrieval? So I think, I think just even awareness, the fact that it's even being done and offered as a service, I think a lot of people do not even know about this. So I think just being aware that, that this is an option that can be done 
and and viable sperm can be obtained from testicular tissue from men that have passed away from a uh, sudden accident, uh, likely motor vehicle accidents and trauma. I think that in itself is is a very important point because I don't think a lot of people even know that this is a service that can be even be done. And I think the, the the research here that we have done at the University of Miami basically shows that uh, the time since uh, passing away used to be a strong cutoff of about 24 hours. But I think knowing that, that the 24 hour limit is not always true and, and can be done at longer time uh, periods since death, I think is also very important. I know we can't always talk about what we're working on necessarily, but is there anything that you can let listeners know about that might be coming out of uh, the research you're doing there at, at, uh, on posthumous at, at U, U, University of Miami? So I think the research here that we're focused on right now is, is what optimal conditions to that testis tissue be stored at. Uh, and if the conditions vary, can sperm not survive at certain temperatures when it's outside the body? And can we translate this now to wartime injuries where the conditions are not always ideal, like like in a morgue, and and can the can the same research be applied to you know military veterans and 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 so on that we now can now apply this research to I think so all of those questions I think uh, we're now exploring here at the University of Miami. Wonderful, Dr. Ramasamy, thank you so much for being able to take time out of your schedule to be on the show today to discuss this. Thanks so much, Jeff, and and look forward to uh, to hearing some feedback from some of the listeners. Absolutely. And you can send that feedback uh, if you want to get in touch with us, ASRM at ASRM.org. As always, you can subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, or wherever you get your podcasting needs taken care of. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to ASRMToday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. 